Join Sarah Weiss in the infinite field of energetic aliveness and heart-centered wisdom. This is the Earth Love Spirit Podcast. Welcome to the Earth Love Spirit Podcast. I'm Sarah Weiss, your host. And today we're going to be spending some lovely time with Ramona Reed, who is the co-founder of the Nashville Center for Alternative Therapy. She's also an Enneagram coach, a Reiki master, and a licensed massage therapist. So before we welcome Ramona, I want to remind you to check out the offerings on the Spirit Heal Institute website. I have some exciting new programs coming up pretty quickly, and you should check them out so you can register for them. Uh, The Monday night classes called Awakening Together are very high-frequency sacred circle classes, and if you need kind of a weekly dose of a deep dive into your spiritual cave and heart, this is the class for you. I also have some virtual retreats coming up at the end of January. There's a virtual retreat called In Holy Territory, Dancing with the Divine. And this is a three-day virtual retreat where we really go deep into the silence to find the dancing spirit within our hearts. So it's virtual. You do it from home. We'll be on Zoom. And in the past year, we've done several of these, and people have found them extremely transformative. And then last but not least, the Enlightened Empath Program for 2021 begins in March. And it's reformatted to accommodate the beautiful energies that are coming in this year to support empaths activating their gifts and really learning to stand on their own two feet, in their power, and with grace in this world. So check those out at spiritheelonline.com. The link is at the bottom of the podcast notes. Now, Ramon and I recorded a podcast about three months ago, and I, in my silly way, forgot to record it. So we rescheduled, and this is our rescheduled podcast. So we were so excited to speak with each other. We jumped into the podcast without a formal opening because the first one didn't work. So help me welcome Ramona Reed. So my question is, how are you different now than you were two months ago that we're doing the interview now? (laughs) Yeah, you know, I was just thinking about that. So, so much has happened. I think this year has been like that, right? Like every month there's some sort of new shift and challenge and opportunity to grow and grieve. (laughs) I feel like, um, you know, even just looking at the events of yesterday and, you know, here in Nashville, what we've gone through this year has just been, man, it's been, it's been brutal and also beautiful, you know? Um, yes, there's been, there's been a lot since we've talked. We had a bombing on Christmas morning. We've had, you know, this uh, attempted coup yesterday in the Capitol building and, and what I do for, for a living, you know, working with people and dealing with stress and healing, um, in, in, in times like this, there's, there's always more, opportunity to hold space for people and to help them as well as you know navigate it for myself so 
Yeah, there's, there's, I, I couldn't even really like list all of the different things that have happened in the past two months since we've talked, but um, in general, you know, when people are like, how you doing? It's my answer is always, I'm pretty good. How are you? <laughs> you know, because, and that's, that's the truth. You know, I'm not, I'm not just, you know, bypassing. It's doing pretty good. I think um, I'm really grateful for um, a platform, for an opportunity to still be alive to still be able to grow and learn and for my privileges that have been unconsciously received <laughs> throughout my life that are now more consciously experienced. Mm. Um, yeah. So I'm doing very well. How have you been? <laughs> I, I've been well. It's really interesting because I can get over-involved with um, a lot of my clients and friends and the things they're going through. But when I sit back and think about it, we're good, you know, I'm good and um, grateful, like you said, and just would love to see people learn to resource, you know, themselves inside so that they can feel better about themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's... Yeah, I love that. I'm going to write that down resource themselves inside. I mean, that's so important, right? It's like we're, we're looking outside of ourselves and that's what's creating a lot of the problems. It really is. And, and, and they both exist, you know, it, and we tend to forget that those inner resources exist when we get over-involved with everything that's outside of us. Right. And we need both. And that's what you're going to help us talk about today too. Okay. <laughs> um, so have you... Has has your work with the Enneagram been growing and growing? Is that taking up more space in your work now? Yeah, I'd say it is. Um, you know, one thing the pandemic has afforded is an opportunity to actually reach more people virtually. Um, so whereas my bodywork practice, massage and, and Reiki practice has fluctuated necessarily with, you know, just trying to be safe and keep everyone safe and taken care of. Um, that practice or that, that part of my profession has increased, I would say. Um, people looking for opportunities to, like you just said, resource themselves inside. The Enneagram is, is a really great tool for that. Um, one of the best, in my opinion. Um, and the one that I think I've most heavily sourced for my own growth and, and evolution, continual evolution. So um, yeah, I see people all over the world via Zoom and um, have been able to um, access, I think, other people that maybe not so willing to go out, and which understandably, it's a pandemic, um, and have been more um, wanting to still learn and connect. And so I do these, you know, weekly or now gone to monthly Reiki uh, healing sessions and meditations that I offer for free. So there's been a lot of different really cool um, pivots that I've, that I've, been involved in in the past year um, with my career, but the the Enneagram being, you know, it's really grown. And in, in, in our culture, it's really kind of expanded. People want to know what this is. It's sort of the new, the new pop culture thing, which is um, a blessing and a curse, you know? <laughs> yes. Actually, that would be something I'd love to speak about because let's talk about the blessing and the curse part of it. How, what are you perceiving as the curse part? Well, like anything that becomes popular, mm -hmm. that implies that it can fall out of being popular. 
And <laughs> we just had a good example of that yesterday. Okay. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I think, I think that um, when anything is highlighted in that way as like a trend, mm-hmm. um, we tend to just sort of skim the surface of it. And from my perspective and from what I've seen, it's value being the Enneagram is not something to skim the surface of. Um, it's sort of like the guitar in that if, you know, you can, you can play the guitar a little bit, you can kind of delve in as much as you want to. It's both the, one of the easiest instruments to learn as a beginner and the hardest to master. And I see that with the Enneagram. It's like you can kind of delve in a little bit and say, oh, I think I'm a type seven or I think, I think my mom's a six. And, you know, and then, and then it can become a little bit reductive and we start to just label things and people and ourselves um, and, and sometimes tend to stop there unless we have a really great community or support system or coach or therapist that's working with us um, in understanding what these things mean and what these labels that I don't even think should be used as labels, but what these mean and what it means about ourselves. And I think um, you can see it in, on, online in the funny, you know, humorous little memes that are out there about Enneagram stuff, which some of them are really accurate. And then some of them are accurate about one aspect of our personality. And then we don't stop to look at maybe why people are behaving like that. Like it might be funny to kind of look at somebody's ego structure, shadow side, kind of exemplified out there. It might be, it might be a little bit humorous to be able to like understand um, someone's way of being. But if we're not getting that it's coming from a deep fear or a wound, then I think we're missing the point of connection and understanding. Um, yeah, so that's, that's what I mean, I guess, by blessing and a curse. It's like the blessing is it's brought more people to the table. Um, the curse being maybe that the table's not um, set as well sometimes as maybe I would like, but I'm saying that from the perspective of Enneagram type one, who often has a tendency to perfectionism. So, so, so even that I've seen as, you know, this whole evolution has been perfect and, um, and it, it is bringing more people to the table. And I think that the responsibility then is the people that um, have a reverence for this, for this method and this modality and this, this uh, practice um, to set the table really well and to make sure that we're taking care of ourselves and doing our own practices, not bypassing our own uh, understanding of ourselves and our own healing in order to just, you know, kind of regurgitate information about the Enneagram. I think it's, it needs to land in, in, in the teachers and we need to be students always. I think that's beautifully spoken because, you know, before we know it, instead of asking what your sign is for a pickup line, Maybe they'll be saying, what's your Enneagram number? (laughs) I'm a six, right? Right. Well, that happens. I mean, it happens in jobs too, where I've I've heard this, where people are being asked in their, in their interviews, like what dominant Enneagram type they are. Really? And I'm just interested in like, what, what information are these interviewers gleaning from this? Like how much, how, because in other words, if there's an ideal type, then we're not getting the point. Mm-hmm. Um, now, there might be some situations that some types might be able to um, navigate better in, but I think we all have all the types in us, and we have the, the capacity to access all of these different energies and all these different gifts. And so if we're, if we're either letting people in or not letting people in based on an arbitrary number or our preferred or acquired coping mechanisms you know, however you choose to look at it, I think we're, we're limited in that way. 
and we're not really seeing the, the person's true potential um, and the possibilities that these relationships might bring. It's just like, like you said, with signs, it's like, oh, I'm not going to date a Leo or I'm not, I don't want to ever, you know, get involved in business with a whatever. I don't even know what they are. So I can't mm -hmm. even speak to that. But, <laughs> but it's like that, you know, it's, it's, um, it creates more division in that way. Um, if you've, if you've had a history of, of dating someone who's a, a type eight and saying, well, I'm never going to do that again. You don't know, <laughs> you don't know. Maybe it wasn't a healthy type eight that you were dating before, you know, cause healthy eights are wonderful, powerful, beautiful, heart led leaders that are, you know, very compassionate and strong. <laughs> so, you know, that's what I guess I mean by, by blessing is let's learn all of it. Um, before we start to, to kind of weaponize it against each other. So what I really hear you saying is you love the depth and the sacred aspects of the Enneagram and would love to have that valued in mm -hmm. our culture. Yeah. Um, and that word that you use, sacred, that's interesting because that's how I feel. Mm -hmm. Well, as the reformer, the type one dominant in that, that's one of the sort of essential qualities of the type is a sense of sacredness and um, maybe goodness. And I, I do think that there's lots of areas in my life and, and in the world where the Enneagram is seen with that kind of more sacredness or something to be studied, not something to be kind of like used as a party game. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, there's especially the narrative tradition, the, the, the teaching that, that I've been um, learning for the past year and a half. It's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a reverence there for that sacredness and for seeing everyone's true selves and their core wounds and their gifts and all of that um, through them talking about their own process. So it's less about like, let me tell you about the Enneagram. It's more like, why don't you tell me about you? You know, it's... Um, it's definitely a connecting tradition of teaching. Beautiful. Let's, let's back up a little bit for the listeners and give them an overview of like what the Enneagram is and where it came from, what tradition it's based in. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I'm not as well versed in the traditional like kind of lineage of the Enneagram. I think that there's a lot of different schools of thought of that. I will say that it, it has its roots in antiquity. And by roots, I don't mean what it is today, right? I mean, it's the ideas of um, passion and virtue and the idea of kind of sacred qualities and how we show up, um, that. And then also the symbolism, the symbol itself and the idea of like the law of one, the law of three, all of that. And it's nothing that I, I'm educated enough to really get in, in um, deep conversation about. But what I will say is that more recently in the past several decades, it's sort of been... Um, turned into or created into being a more of a study of personality and it's sort of a an amalgam of psychology spirituality and um, philosophy and so if you look at the roots and, and even like looking at the each type's passion you know if you look at the seven deadly sins that's there's some talk that that's where that came from um, this idea of where we go in shadow um, but the Enneagram itself now, the, at least the Enneagram of personality, which is just one of the Enneagogs that, Enneagons that we've, we've learned about, is that we are dominant in one of these nine different types. And 
the, 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 the way that we kind of can group those is different. There's lots of different triads. There's the, the different centers of intelligence, that there's three of these types in each of the centers of intelligence. There's the harmony triads. There's the social styles. There's so many ways. Like I've said, I, I've, I've, I maybe know 1% of what there is to know. And people consider me to be some sort of an expert. And I think that's funny. But, um, but I think I'm an expert in, in how I've used it for myself and, and um, in learning about people in my, in my life. Um, so basically, if, if, if you see it as, you know, the idea is, and I believe this to be true, that we're born a type and then our environment then influences, I, I should say we're born dominant in one of the types and um, our environment then influences our level of health inside that type. So um, the eights, nines and ones are part of the body center and the, they experience autonomy and an embodied sense of intuition and also anger in three different totally separate ways. But that's one way we can kind of separate the types is this kind of body instinctual center of the eights, nines and ones. And then there's the heart types, twos, threes and fours that are interested um, more in attention and, and feelings and, and being seen and have a, an emotion around shame often that will show up. And then there's the five, sixes and sevens, part of more of the, the mind types, the thinking center, and they have an interest in security and safety and can experience fear very viscerally. And so this is sort of like how the different types broken up perceive the world um, is through these nine different lenses based on what's important to them, based on what center they value, whether it's their body or, or gut center of knowing, whether it's their heart intelligence or whether it's their mind intelligence. That's one basic way of kind of separating the types. Um, as well as understanding, you know, what the prime motivation is. Like for the twos, it's it's feeling love, and for the for the eights, it's feeling powerful, and for the sixes, it's a sense of safety and knowing and security. So we're all we all have, you know, again, all of these types in us. We all have these energies of these types in us. We're not just like in one little box forever. Um, for me, dominant in type one, I have a lot of two energy, the, the giver, the helper. And so I, I have a lot of access to that, to that heart center. And then I also have a very easy access to type seven because that's kind of, you know, one of the places I navigate to when I'm feeling healthy and present is the sense of like joyful presence and, and abundance and freedom. And then I have a you know, connection to nine too, because that's one of my wings. So we all kind of all experience all of the types, but there's one that's, that's kind of our, that's our home base that, I, I learned it as, and I believe it to be true, that when we're, when we're not present, it's what shows up. It's like, it's, it's what shows up when we're not here. When we're not trying to control things and, and yeah. Yeah. put a face on the world. Yeah. Right. It also shows up when we are present. Like for me, when I am present, when I'm doing a daily meditation and I'm valuing kind of my feelings and feeling them and, and taking good care. Pause for a moment there. Yeah. That sounded like a beautiful practice. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, yeah, you assume that people do that. But you just said you have a practice of valuing your feelings. How many mm -hmm. people actually stop to do that? I love that. Yeah, too few. I think I, we're not taught that. Mm -hmm. you know, we're taught to do something with our feelings. We're not taught to actually just be the feeling, you know. Yes. Um, but it's taken, I mean, I'm, I'm 46 and it took me a a long time to learn how to be sad 
and learn mm-hmm. how to be scared and um, to learn how to look for that feeling underneath a way of being. In other words, um, one of the things that directs me towards my organic feelings now is a symptom. And that symptom might be anxiety or it might be overworking or it might be um, maybe shortness of breath. I might be unconsciously holding my breath. And I've just taught myself through adult chair, inner child coaching work, basically to Uh stop and say, what is going on here? Because it's not just the symptom. It's not just my shoulders hurt or I'm anxious. It's there's something I'm leaving or avoiding in order to do a feeling because that's what we're taught. We're not taught how to be the feeling. We're taught to do the feeling. And then allowing that feeling to live in me and kind of metabolize and have its way with me for a little bit um, while recognizing that it's safe. So both of those things have to happen, right? Like I'm scared and I'm safe at the same time. That kind of um, shut down the amygdala, the, the, the nervous system response that turns on that stress response. And, and I just cry sometimes like, like a little kid and it, and then it goes away and I don't die. And then I move on. And I think that's, you know, one of the biggest things I've learned from the Enneagram is to notice the symptoms. Like the one shows up like this in stress. This to me is a beautiful teaching and something people really need to hear right now, because this is an example of you accessing your inner resources. It's also an example of a healthy adult. I love that. I try. And so, <laughs> so can you connect how the uh, neogram has contributed? I'm not saying it might be the, it's not the sole source, but how that has contributed um, to you being able to be in this adult space of valuing and being mm-hmm. your feelings and learning to accept and love yourself. Yeah. Um, well, at first, it was kind of mind-blowing. I, I got to know myself through the lens of believing I was a type two, that I was dominant in two. And I what's a, a type two? Type two is the helper. It's in the heart center. We have these um, essential qualities of like sweetness and attunement to other people's needs. And we're the source of this unconditional love for ourselves and others. It shows up out of presence as a sense of, of pridefulness and flattery, um, giving to get. Um, here, I don't need this, you do, but really it's all about me (laughs) and and what I can get out of the giving, which is, you know, oftentimes, unfortunately, conditional um, Mm -hmm. to kind of stoke those feelings of of me being the center and the pride. So it's, it's, it shows up as someone who's very giving and loving with an agenda. And, um, and so I learned a lot about my own wounding, like childhood wounding through the lens of thinking that that was my dominant type. And I still believe that, I mean, I'm pretty, I'm pretty even one and two. Um, But what it did, learning about the Enneagram, what it did was it provided at first language for what I was feeling that was astounding to me because I didn't understand how something so personal and profound for me that felt very almost hidden and very unique to me um, was on a, was in a book, many books. And I could read about it and be like, oh my God, like that, I feel so exposed and so seen, like, how is that possible that this could be written about me, you know? And, and then there's nine types. So, so there's, that means maybe possibly is one of every nine people in the world seeing things the way I saw it. And then it was, wait a minute, 
that means there's eight other ways that people see things because I also thought in some way that everybody also saw things the way I did. And so maybe that's the pride that was coming out there. Um, so it, it first gave the language and then it grew compassion because if, if, if that's out there and I can understand why that two-ness was coming out, why that need to be um, valued as needed and, lo and lovable and helpful, that was like my currency. That's what I was using at the time to feel safe. And I, I would learn to develop a lot of compassion for myself through that because I got what I wasn't getting when I was little and how I've, you know, kind of created this way of being to get my needs met at a very early age. Um, again, to do fear. I learned how to do sadness and do fear through the lens of this, a lot of the lens of this too. Um, after years of thinking that, maybe six years of thinking that, and I really kind of worked through and healed a lot of those wounds of the, of that um, little latchkey kid that just wanted to be paid attention to. <laughs> um, and then I noticed that my motivations underneath some of that behavior were less two and more one, which is a sense of wanting to be good and a wanting, a, uh, wanting to be seen as um, ethical and right and, and moral and having this sense of like um, self-reform and perfectionism that was very directed internally. Um, that was like another evolution of, of awareness. <laughs> and so it's, it's been the most valuable thing that I've studied um, as it pertains to my own growth and my parenting. Oh my gosh, I, I, I don't even know what kind of parent I would be without this, this awareness. Mm -hmm. um, and then as a partner and as a business owner, as a member of my community, just being able to be more awake to what's fueling some of my behavior and how to pause and feel the feeling underneath it before I just, you know, go out and react in the world. It's, it's more of a quite literally responsibility. So an ability to respond instead of react um, because of my studies in this and my, my studies of myself, I guess, and of this, of this system. And, and then the next step being, wow, I got to see everyone else's wounded child because I could see how the four and the five and the six and all of these different types are going to show up and project their pain out there. And, um, and then coaching just kind of happened because I, I just wanted to talk with people and, and, and people wanted to talk with me and they wanted to, I guess, see how, how I'd use the Enneagram to, to heal parts of me. And um, that's how it started. And then now it's just, I mean, it's my passion. It's, it's what I, it's what I want to do forever. You know, it's, it's um, Enneagram work, learning, coaching, talking, feeling with people, and then working through inner child wounding through the adult chair. Um, both of those things, I think, combined with energy work as well, because you can do that virtually for sure. Um, those three things, I think, are this beautiful sort of dance of healing. Uh, when you re reference the adult chair, are you referencing Michelle Chalfant's program? Yes. Okay. Yeah, she's, a, she's a good friend and is finally, mm -hmm. after many years of us, I think, poking and prodding her to have a certification program, uh, it just came out this year. And so I'm I'm going through that to make it official. I've been an um, Enneagram coach for about four years and have incorporated adult chair work into that. But now there's a, there's a program to, and I'll have a, a little piece of paper and I'll have a lot more information and tools. And um, 
that's I've been on our podcast several times talking about the Enneagram and, and how we can incorporate the Enneagram into inner child work because we can understand the unique flavor of our inner child based on what our Enneagram type is. We can understand the unique flavor of our adolescent kind of coping mechanisms and we can understand what's there for us, what's available in our healthy adult chair when we're able to learn how to be present with the uncomfortable feelings and with whatever is so right in front of us. And so we, we both, Michelle and I both see the value of these, these um, different methods, kind of how they, how they work together really beautifully and enhance each other, you know, cause with, with the Enneagram work, it's like, well, now what, <laughs> you know, that's, that's great. But how do I, how do I, what do I do next? And um, so that's where the adult chair work, the inner child work can, can, can come in and kind of give us a place to go with it, a next step. And then, um, yeah, I just think it's a beautiful collaboration. Michelle and I have interviewed each other as well in each other's podcasts, and I really respect her work. So let me ask you this. Um, do you have a, de- a, a degree in some kind of counseling or therapy? Nope. Okay. So no. this is a question that a lot of people who are going into coaching and who work with people in an in-depth way um, are trying to navigate. Mm-hmm. And so where does the coaching and the therapy begin and how do you navigate that when you're working so deeply with people? Right. So I have a personal um, practice of of therapy. I go to a therapist. I also have a coach, an energy worker, like I have a team there. And when I opened up uh, the Holistic Health Center that I have here in Nashville, I wanted to make sure that there were professionals on board that were a lot smarter than me that we could um, reference and we could refer to for really big stuff that came up that people really needed to go into the past and work through because I, I see the, the value of that. It's worked for me. Um, I wanted people that, that knew more than I did about psychology and, and could help me navigate some of those um, places in my life. And so I have um, with the center um, LCSWs, licensed professional counselors that on hand to work with, it wasn't just Enneagram coaching it was, you know, we have an acupuncturist, Chinese herbalist, um, we have body workers, massage, we have someone who does EFT tapping. And I have a whole whole team of like an integrative MD that's been doing that almost 40 years. Um, When it's a more like physical uh, symptom situation. So we've got, you know, we work with people basically through symptom, people come into the health center, because something's not working. At least they're perceiving that something's not working. I actually assert that their body's working perfectly to show them something, but um, they'll come in that way. And so whether it's trauma, um, anxiety, depression, cancer, an autoimmune condition, um, pain, something like that, or just you know having, not just, but having a deep wounding around relational issues, um, sexual trauma, all of that, there's, there's an opportunity to not just say, okay, well, you need to go talk to a therapist or you need to talk to this doctor about meds. It's like, there's an opportunity to look at the entire person and see what's necessary. For me, the Enneagram is a tool inside a toolbox that um, I'm not the only holder of. I think there's lots of different people that, that we, can, we can work with, with um, one client. And so when you think of therapy and coaching, the difference for me, and this isn't a question you asked, but it's a question I've really wanted to kind of answer, is that therapists are really well-trained usually and well-versed in looking into the past and figuring out ways to heal through kind of reframing or studying or healing things that have happened in the past. Whereas coaching, 
really looks forward with what's so right now. Like, how can we move forward? So, so in coaching, you know, there's been a bit of, I was hesitant to even call myself a coach. And as a matter of fact, it was Michelle who, who first said, you need to do this. Um, I was really hesitant. I went on her podcast four years ago, I think, and said, you know, I'm really fascinated about the Enneagram. And she's like, well, you know a lot more about it than I did. And I've done all the trainings, you know. And um, she's like, so you're, you're an Enneagram coach? And I was like, no, no, no. I just, I talk with people about it and kind of share what I know. And she's like, yeah, you're an Enneagram coach? <laughs> and I was like, well, no. I mean, she's like, so do you work with people? And, and I'm like, well, I've got somebody at the center that does that. Because I had a therapist that was doing that. And she's like, your whole body lights up when you talk about it. And I was like, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's my thing, you know? And she's <laughs> like, okay. So, and then she went right into the intro and she's like, Ramona Reed, Enneagram coach. She sees people all over the world. Because, I mean, I was just like, whoa. And she's been, I think, one of my top three biggest supports this past four years of that, you know, saying, this is what you do. How do you make it so that you can do it with integrity and with skill? And, um, so I've worked with people to try to, to build those skills. I go through lots of training programs, um, online, in-person intensives. Right now I'm in the middle of a, a one and a half year uh, a certification again through the narrative I think I told you about. And um, we do, I work on, sit on panels. I listen to panels. Like, so I've, I've done a lot of work with it. Um, I think the most important work though has been very personal. And I think that's, an important component for a therapist or a coach is that we don't bypass our own process in order to just kind of speak about something or try to help somebody else. Um, I think that, that clients can really see and feel through that, that process. I've, I've experienced that myself. Well, that really speaks to your authenticity and integrity and that conveys non-verbally to anyone that you speak with. It, it just, you know, vibrates through the airwaves and helps them have a reference within themselves for what that measure of truth is inside. Mm. So yes. were you referencing a program called The, the Narrative? Is that? Right. Uh, um, the uh, Narrative Tradition through, um, through Enneagram Worldwide, I believe it is, has a training program. There's lots of training programs now. When I first was interested in the, the Enneagram, there really wasn't there's not there wasn't really a, a coaching certification like the nationwide board of that you know it's been something that's kind of caught up with with the with the profession as coaching has become more popular um but i was kind of waiting to find one because i always knew i wanted to do one um I've, i was waiting to find a, a coaching um certification that really spoke to the way i wanted to to teach it and the way i wanted to learn it and the way i, I experienced it and so the narrative tradition is just the, the way of teaching where we, you know, we sit people, we sit as, as, as panel members of a type and explain our perspective of our type. So instead of, like I said, the top-down teaching of here's how a nine is, taught by a three maybe, <laughs> or, <laughs> or even taught by a nine, you know, that's, one, that's still one perspective, right? Whereas we get to, to look at the broad range of all the different ways that people dominant in type nine can show up. And there's so many different ways, but there's so many beautiful commonalities and you can really see that visually and then feel it energetically when you go to an in-person training where you can watch a panel of, of people that are all dominant in this one type explain their, their way of dealing with stress or how they, they cope with conflict or 
you know, what their, what their fears are and how they navigate that. Like that, there's just something really beautiful about that, that I, that I really like. And so I've gone through, you know, the first several trainings were in person, but my last um, in-person training was right after the tornado here in Nashville, March 3rd, and right before lockdown. We had a week-long intent or a week, a weekend intensive, and everything else since then has been online, but it still, it conveys for sure, um, the trainings that, that I've done, and I will continue to do them until I'm certified with that. But, you know, I've gone through, like I said, a lot of different things online and, and we'll always keep doing that sort of a continuing education for myself. That sounds like a wonderful opportunity. Um, so if someone calls you up and wants to start working with you with the Enneagram, how does that process work? How do they enter into a working relationship with you? Yeah, I think there's, there's as many answers to that as there are people, but I would say that a lot of times these days, people already have some sort of understanding of their dominant type. Back when I first started doing this, they didn't even know what the word was or what we were talking about, um, but they were just curious because a friend said, <laughs> you should go talk to her or you should learn about this. So now it's, it, there, more people show up kind of with an idea, but if they don't have an idea, um, there's, there's tests available, some better than others. Um, there's a $12 test through Enneagram Institute called the Ready, R-H-E-T-I, that I like. That um, I'm not affiliated with them in any way, but I just like to look at the, um, that test result because it shows all of the different percentages of the different types. So in other words, you know, like you might score 28, 28 in a type 2 and 21 in a type 1 and 19 in a type 3. And, like, and so it's not just telling you what your, what your dominant type is. It's, it's showing you the kind of range of efficiencies you have of each type. And I'm using that word um, intentionally because I learned it from Dr. Jerome Libba, who's become a bit of a friend. He's, a, he's an Enneagram teacher and peer, um, I think functional neurologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And he wrote a book called The Brain-Based Enneagram. And he discusses how, you know, how the brain and the Enneagram actually correlate it's fascinating. If you haven't read that book, I'd, I'd recommend it. But um, he talks about the efficiencies we have in different types. For instance, there's maybe our top three. We're going to be very efficient in the energies of those types. And then maybe the bottom three, we're not going to have developed an efficiency. Um, my bottom three are all the mind center, five, sixes, and sevens. This doesn't mean I'm not smart. I think what <laughs> it means is that I didn't see when I was younger, and Dr. Libby gets into this in his book, I didn't really see any modeling of that when I was younger, of anyone dominant in those types, or as those um, energies of five, sixes, and seven being a valid or effective way to stay safe. So I didn't see that, or, or I saw it modeled ineffectively. And so what I learned is to kind of exemplify or, or enhance my efficiencies of type two, one, four, seven, eight, like those ones. And so I like starting a conversation with that test because it'll show the entire broad range of our kind of our percentages of efficiency. Um, however, oftentimes I'll start a conversation with people that don't feel like taking a test and they just want to talk about the fact that they're deeply hurt over something that happened and they want to know how to move on. And, you know, you can really work with the Enneagram without necessarily working with the word Enneagram. <laughs> I, I had a coaching client who for two years did not want to even take the test because he was very anti. The idea of being in a box of personality was really, um, it was a struggle for him. 
because that's what he had that the Enneagram was. And so we didn't even talk about it. Um, but he kept coming back. And I think it was because I understood as I got to know him through the years, I understood what some of his um, core fears and gifts and strengths were and could speak to that. Um, and then, you know, eventually took the test and actually ended up being dominant in one of the types that really doesn't like being typed. <laughs> so it, was, it made a lot of sense, you know? Um, yeah, there's, there's lots of different ways to start. A lot of times, like I said, I start with symptom, physical symptom, because that's just what I do as, as a holistic health center owner. So people come in really sick. And while we'll look at the symptoms and, and I'll kind of refer them out to people who have a lot more information than I do about that, um, We'll also look at the emotional component, the source of some of these, these illnesses, which I believe um, a high percentage of the time emanate from emotional wounds, emotional uh, trauma. And um, yeah, I, I think that that's a great place to, to, to look at if you've got a physical disease or symptom is, is why did this occur? Instead of just like dealing with a symptom, it's looking into how it became uh, a part of your physical embodied experience because... Um, you know, symptom, the etymology of the word symptom even means to, to fall together, to come together. And that's how we used to do healthcare before we got so damned efficient at, at fixing broken bones and, you know, pharmaceuticals. It, we really used to look at back in like the 1700s, like, how is the, why is this happening? You know, what's going on? And, um, and I, I love that we're kind of getting back to that now. Uh, I love how you're referencing this aspect of healing emotionally and then when we can heal more we find out that we have just a whole range of capacities that we haven't been able to develop yet because those emotional wounds were preventing us from seeing that those capabilities and capacities mm -hmm. and it's a very compassionate uh, approach to helping someone develop um, it's so interesting just how much wounding is in our culture, isn't it? Yeah. And I think it's, you know, we don't like to talk, we don't like to really talk about it. We like to fix it. Mm -hmm. You know, we like to just throw a pill at it or, or get it to just kind of go away. Cause it's not, it's not comfortable. And we also deem it as that we're, there's something wrong or we're broken. So who wants to talk about that? you know, and it's like we keep coming up with more ways to anesthetize and, and, and avoid. Um, look at the commercials, you know, like, are you feeling this? Are you feeling this? Let's get rid of it. And, you know, what I would love to see is a commercial that's like, are you anxious? You know, are you, are you in pain? Let's, let's feel that like deeply for a little bit. <laughs> just like, yeah. Yeah, let's just probably... take a commercial break to feel. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, really let's stop for a second and not make you wrong for the symptom. And let's just really let it, let it be there a minute and ask it what it has to tell you and, and have gratitude for the symptom that's working. It's your body working perfectly to tell you that something needs attention and let's not be so quick to get rid of it as well as, you know, let's not so be so quick to get rid of our, of our fear that we forget to feel it, you know, just because we weren't ever taught how, <laughs> you know, let's, let's actually be scared and let that be okay and teach our kids that that's okay. So we don't perpetuate this kind of cultural doing of our emotions. And um, I think it's such a simple concept and yet so difficult because it's been, it's, we've become ingrained and, and, and hardwired 
to do it this way. It's, it's sort of culturally encouraged that we avoid and that we you know, do something with our symptoms, with our feelings. And I see symptom now as, man, it's our, it's our body working perfectly. So if you can feel gratitude for yourself instead of um, some sort of rejection of yourself or fear, like that something's wrong, it's like, that's a good first foundational step to healing, I think. I think, you know, if you're trying to heal through trying to fix something that's perceived as, as being broken, you're, you're not going to really be able to heal, I think, because you have, you're starting off with a judgment. And, um, and, I, and, you know, saying that coming from someone dominant in type one, the, who has a lot of inner, inner criticism and self, um, you know, I've, I've called it my, my self-improvement project that I've been on for, I was on for decades. Um, I'm, not, I'm not doing that anymore. It's, it's, that's been my own evolution is how to really see the alignment in, um, in what is happening outside of myself. And I don't have to fix everything. I don't have to fix me. I don't have to fix you. I don't have to fix the world. There's so many opportunities, you know, to, to see things as wrong right now, externally, as well as internally. And um, I think it's really cool that I live in a lot of gray now, you know, I don't have to see everything as wrong, right, black and white. That's really the the lower level energies of the type one. Well, it's the, the polarized energies that make us pick black and white answers to everything um, yeah. that hem us in that way. Um, so yeah. let me ask you this. So as you're describing some of the the personality types, um, how does the Enneagram interface with the archetypal energies and the archetypal personalities? You know, I don't really know. I think you would probably be able to speak to that better. I will say that there's there is sort of a, a caricature that we could project of each type and look at it as a, as a whole. Um, I will say, you know, I can go through and kind of run through and maybe you could, you could align those with the archetypal energies, but um, you know, the eight being the, the challenger, they have this sense of kind of force and vitality and they're very protective and um, can be very forceful. And, um, and then there's the, the peacekeeper that it has this sense of, groundedness and, and peace and kind of slow moving. I think of it as like syrup, you know, this beautiful sense of groundedness. And then the reformer, you know, the ones that write the petitions, the type ones, the ones that want to fix everything. And there's a very staunch sense of like physicality of those three types. So I don't know if even just looking in that center, there might be a, an archetype we could just, you know, assign to that. But um, I have to say that, you know, some of the language in with my peers and um, I'm, I'm not as familiar with like with when it comes to like um, goddesses or spiritual terms or things like that or archetypes. I'm, I'm not as familiar. Okay, so I have uh, one last question that is of real interest to me. Since I work a lot with empaths, and I'm wondering how if empaths fall into a particular type, or if you see empaths individually spanning the different enneagram personalities yeah so if you're if you're speaking of empaths as being people that are really easily um, able to access the emotions the feelings the experiences of others and attunement to there's definitely certain types that have more of a propensity toward that so 
there's what's called the social styles of the types, whether that be assertive, withdrawn, or compliant. And what I've noticed in the withdrawn stances, so that would be the fours, fives, and nines, they tend to kind of step back from the energy of others, um, while at the same time, the reason, the reason being is because they have such a natural attunement to the energy of others that they need to sort of withdraw sometimes into their own experience to get some footing. So the fours, fives, and nines, each of different center, the fours and the heart center feel things very deeply, both their own feelings and their own experiences, as well as the experiences of others. And I mean, to such an extent that they can become very um, attached or kind of enmeshed with the experiences of others, and in a way exhausted by the emotional energy, um, either their own or other people's. Um, the fives do that in a more mental center way. So there's like a knowing or maybe cognition, um, possibly psychic abilities that the fives have. So it's an empathic sense of the mental center, a knowing. So the, the fours, it's more of the heart knowing and the empathy that they're able to feel what other people feel and hold space for. The fives, it's more of a knowing um, from that kind of mind center. And uh, what can, can be overwhelmed by that in a group of people. Um, the nines do that bodily, in the, right in the middle of that body center. Um, they do that in, in their whole being. So, so the nines can actually sort of merge into the experience of the other in a way that's self-avoidant uh, or not even avoidant. It's, it's sort of self-amnesiac, right? So it's like, I, I know exactly what you're feeling because I can feel it in my cells. And so I've sensed that when I talk with people that are fours, fives, and nines, there's this sort of inherent empathic ability that they have that may be um, more just organic. Um, the, the twos also, type two in the heart center, that the helper, they have an attunement that's also really, um, I've heard described as empathic and it's very developed in that they'll walk into a room and know the, un, know the energy of the room and who might need them and why and how. And um, I've heard it described, I do a, a radio show and I've done panel shows with all the different types. And there was the show I did with a type two uh, a couple years ago, she said, I can walk into a room and be having, or I can be having dinner in a room and I'll be wanting to be with the person I'm with, but I'm so um, attuned to the table next to me or even across the room, I know that they're having a fight. And it's like, I can feel it and I want to give and provide something in that space. And um, I would say, you know, I think every type has the ability to experience empathy and the ability to be empathic. But those four types I would imagine would be the most likely. Um, threes, sevens, and eights have the more assertive stance, more uh, closed boundary types, where actually their heart center will drop off and they'll not be as able to access it. Mm -hmm. So I think that, um, that those types would be maybe the least likely to be empaths as a, maybe as a, as a skill, maybe, you know, cause we don't all need to be empaths. <laughs> maybe they're able to stand more in their own centers. Um, but yeah, that, that would be my answer. You know, I, I feel like we all have that as a gift that we can cultivate, but there are some people that are just sort of naturally inclined. That's fascinating. That mm -hmm. is absolutely fascinating. So Ramona, why don't you tell us, tell us about your center, your radio program, and how people can access you. And I will have this information in the show notes as well. Sure. Um, I will say that, you know, the, the center, which is Nashville Center for Alternative Therapy, has really evolved through the pandemic um, 
it's evolved through a lot of things. We had this, you know, really devastating tornado that hit, and then we had the, we've had the pandemic, and then we had this, Nashville experienced a, a bomb on Christmas morning. Like we've, as a, as a community, been really, um, I think, extra blessed <laughs> with opportunities to, to heal and grow this year amidst, you know, everybody's ample opportunities. Um, and because, because <laughs> That's an of, understatement. Yeah. <laughs> silver lining me, part of me. Um, but I, I um, have, have taken that opportunity of, of having to close down for a couple months um, to really look in and sort of be um, thoughtful about what I wanted to do going forward. And I always knew that I wouldn't sign another three-year lease at my location, that the, the, um, the practice that I had, re- had involved a lot of different people. And at this point, people aren't going to see therapists face-to-face. And so we don't, we're not providing that as a service anymore. And it just, it really gave me an opportunity to rethink what I wanted to do. It's sort of that 80-20 rule. Like, you know, you want to put, um, we end up putting like 20% of our energy on um, the things that we really most want. <laughs> and so I wanted to shift that and put 80% of my energy on what I most wanted to do. And um, that would be Reiki, Enneagram, inner child work. So we closed the center location that we were at um, two months ago and moved into a smaller private studio. We're still seeing people um, very safely. We have you know, filtration and all of that. We're still seeing people safely that need us. And I've also kind of evolved out of the um, in-person uh, being the most um, used of my time. So we've really paired back. It's the acupuncturist, my partner, Yvonne, and I, um, one massage therapist, once we're able to do that safely again, and myself, and then Kim, who's doing, doing EFT. And it's all virtual, except for the in-person body work. So that's the center now. Um, not what it was a year ago, and that's beautiful and perfect, because what we're doing now is is creating a nonprofit. It's going to be a, a spiritual center, meditation center, um, where we're going to be able to provide uh, opportunities for intentional healing meditations, such as um, Dr. Joe Dispenza does, you know, a lot of these intentional healing sorts of meditations and mindfulness. We're going to be doing that and helping people kind of wake up in a different way. Um, We bought some land in Northern New Mexico and we're going to be living in both places and creating this new center. Um, And it's going to be focused on healing Um, our wounds and being present in our lives and spirituality and vibrational therapy and frequency and sound healing and all of those things. Um, My, my, which is, you know, to be, to, it will come when it will come. I have my NashvilleCenter.com is my website and we're going to be talking about all that. Um, And the radio show I've been doing for about four and a half years. It's called Holistic Revolution. It's on WXNA in Nashville and um, it's a holistic health radio interview show. So I talk about everything. Um, I interview musicians, healthcare practitioners, regular people trying to work through their stuff with their health journeys, um, as well as you know practitioners to talk about all these different alternative therapies we might not know a lot about. Um, I'm also starting a podcast very soon that's going to be really focusing on Enneagram, adult chair work, and energy work. Mm. And um, all that will be up on our socials. It's at Nashville Center on Instagram and Nashville Center for Alternative Therapy on Facebook. And so that's, that's kind of what I'm, I'm going toward. I'm, I'm slowing down and reprioritizing um, you know, family and time off and breath work and <laughs> movement and being in the, the next right place. Um, yeah. Well, that doesn't sound like slowing down to me, but it sounds very rich. <laughs> 
I guess it's pruning. It's sort of like pruning, you know, like weeding right. your garden. Like you're still gardening, but you're really focusing on what what brings you pleasure and what provides a bounty. So yeah, that's what it is. That's beautiful. That seems to be a theme for a lot of people this year. Um, sure. That we we really focus on who we are, what would bring us ease, joy, and spiritual fulfillment, and then to become a person who impacts the world in a positive way. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much, Ramona, for taking the time to share your wisdom with us today. And blessings on everything that you're doing. It just sounds wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. Blessings to everyone. Thanks for listening to the Earth Love Spirit Podcast. If you like what you heard, the best compliment you can give us is to share this podcast with a friend. And be sure to give us some stars and a favorable review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen in.